Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new unsettling stories, taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. This is a story that my mother and aunts told me when I was in high school. I'm 21 now, but it has never left me. I think about it constantly and ponder over what could have happened. My grandfather passed two years ago, in June of 2020. He was 96 when he died, and it caused some issues in my family. They don't really pertain to the story, but there are some things about him that I have to share in order to explain the story in the best way possible. My grandfather, John, was a man who was extremely calloused and old-fashioned. He was bitter, abusive, and a complete macho man. My mother was raised on never showing emotion or pain due to his abuse and lack of compassion for others. He was also an extreme racist. He had many secrets in my family that are now coming to light after his death. Everything that happened around him was brushed off and forgotten because he had more important things to do, like drinking and having affairs. Just an overall intense and very no-nonsense type of man. He was also far from religious and found things like faith and hope stupid. This story takes place sometime in the 70s, most likely early to mid-70s. My mom was born in 1965 and remembers this story clearly. My aunts as well remember this happening, but no one knows exactly what year. One summer day, John decided to take his family on a small outing with the intent to have a picnic in the woods. My mother, her three sisters, and her mother, my grandma, were all there and very excited about this. Where we are from, my family is more than accustomed to the woods and has lived in the area for generations. Going into the woods for fun family activity was nothing out of the ordinary and seemed to be just another normal day. They made their way down a dirt backwoods road and stopped once they found a clearing large enough to accommodate them. As all the kids started jumping out of the car and messing around as kids do after being stuck in a ride together, my grandmother began unloading their food and picnic supplies. John began surveying the area and deciding just where to set up. As he was doing that, something in the woods past the clearing caught his eye. Before going to see what was out there, he yelled to the family and said that he would be right back. The kids and my grandmother thought nothing much of this. They were all used to the woods, and these woods in particular were very familiar to them. They continued unloading and setting up the stuff that they had brought. One of the girls pointed out something in the clearing that caused a sudden shift from a normal day to something far worse. It was a mound of dirt that looked like something was buried underneath it. This mound was about the size of a small person, maybe even child-sized. It was too big to simply be any animal in these woods. There was nothing but squirrels and raccoons in the area. Scattered amongst the mound were large river rocks. There was no pattern to them, but they were definitely placed on the mound intentionally. Also, the dirt seemed to be fresh, as though just buried. It was loose and slightly darker than the area around it. The mood immediately shifted from an average day in the woods to something much darker. My grandmother became concerned and told the girls to stay away from it. She was clearly upset and worried, 
but she did her best to ignore it. The girls, all being children, didn't have the same amount of worry and continued playing while just avoiding that mound. They tried to return to their picnic, and the girls were already chasing each other in circles again. It was supposed to be a joyous, sunny day, and my grandma wanted to keep it that way. Things seemed to return to normal for a beat. The trees around them created a wall of dense foliage, blocking their view from anything inside the forest. One of the girls again took notice to something strange. It was immediately clear what it was. Along one of the long branches of a tree hung a noose. It was tied with rope and hung high above their heads. A lump of dirt can be explained away by nature, but someone had to have placed the noose there intentionally. My grandmother stopped dead in her tracks when she first saw it. Something was wrong. Very, very wrong. They couldn't just pack up and leave. John was still out in the woods. Even children can recognize a noose as a symbol of death. The children started to become very anxious. Whatever innocence was keeping them from worrying about the mound had completely vanished at this point. My grandmother, being the resilient woman that she is, soothed her children and told them it was just left by deer hunters, but she knew in her heart that they needed to leave. No deer hunter would hang a deer and then bury it. At least, no sane deer hunter. It wasn't until they started hearing things in the woods that they began to really panic. My grandmother, as well as all the children, began hearing a rhythmic chanting from deep in the woods. It sounded as though there was a group of people all singing in deep voices to the beat of a drum. It went in a quick bum, bum, bum pattern. Three steady beats, followed by a pause, and then it would repeat. It sounded far away, but immediately fear began to take hold of each of them. They each listened and gathered together. As the seconds passed, it began to increase in volume. It wasn't just getting louder, but closer. What started out as a distant echo soon began to engulf the entire clearing. My grandmother was terrified and wanted so desperately to leave, but John had yet to return. They waited, fear-ridden as the sound began to fill their chests. It felt like they were at a concert as a deep bass began to vibrate their rib cages. It was everywhere and constant, as though the sound was being made by the trees themselves, surrounding the family in every direction. Suddenly, the sound of yelling broke through the constant drone of chanting. John's voice was yelling out to them from the trees. Go, he yelled. Get in the car. He came running out of the woods, yelling that they needed to leave. They had never seen terror on this man as they had at this moment. He was a man afraid of nothing, unbothered by the world around him. This was the most emotion any of them had ever seen. He saw something in those woods, something that shook his very being to the core. John and my grandmother picked up their things and the children as quickly as possible and threw them all into the car. They had no care for the things they were packing up due to their fear. Food was all over the trunk. Items were broken. After everything was tossed in, they both got in the car, slammed their doors, and drove away. This is where the brunt of the story ends. But one fact from this story is what really has caused me to wonder all these years. My grandfather has refused to ever speak of what he saw. He never told any of the children or my grandma. Every time this story was brought up, he quickly rebuffed it 
and angrily told them not to ask again. He never went to the police or told someone outside of my family. My grandfather is the only person who knows what happened that day. When I first heard the story, I swore to myself that I would ask him one day what happened. Now I can't, and I regret it greatly. By the time I was in high school, he had moved out of the state with other family members, and I mostly lost contact with him outside of the occasional happy birthday call or letter. This story doesn't have an answer to go with it. When he died, the only thing I was sad about was never knowing what actually happened that day. We weren't close, and when I learned of all the abuse he caused, I separated myself from him pretty much entirely. His death looms over me, and the story still haunts me to this day. My mother and aunts just look back on it as a spooky memory from their childhood, nothing more than a story to scare little ones at Thanksgiving with. I am one of the only people in the family who is still curious about what happened. I've always been interested in mysteries, the occult, horror, and conspiracy theories. This story piqued my interest more than any others in my family. It just sucks that the possibility of knowing what happened passed with my grandfather a few years back. And though I'll spend a lot of my days wondering, I'll never know for fact what happened. This all happened to me this past Friday night. I'm a 30-year-old woman, and I work at a bar on weekends, about a mile away from my house. In nice weather, I like to walk the commute. It's a quiet residential area. The halfway point between my house and work is a park with a basketball court and an adjacent baseball field. I usually don't walk both to and from work in the same day. I'll take an Uber at least one way, and the times and days that I walk home vary as well just for context. I left work this night around 12.30 a.m. When about two blocks away from my job, I heard someone walking behind me. At first, I thought it was one of the guys that I work with. We've crossed paths on the walk home before, since we're somewhat neighbors. Nope. It's a young guy. Maybe my age at the oldest. He's on the other side of the street, about a block behind me. He starts singing. At first, I think, Okay, no big deal. Maybe he wants to make sure he doesn't sneak up on me. But the singing gets kind of eerie. It was starting to make the hair on the back of my neck rise. I start to pay attention and try to hear clues of mental instability or any direct communication to me. I'm about a block from the sports fields when he's getting closer, maybe 30 or 40 feet. I realize the houses past the fields are kind of unkempt, I've never seen anyone outside, even during the day, aka no one to help me if I needed it. I decide it's getting too creepy and abruptly turn around to start walking the way that I came from. He keeps walking his same direction, but I don't look back more than once to confirm his direction. I wait on a corner for two to three minutes, debating if I should call an Uber, return to the bar, or just keep walking. I've already texted a co-worker who is still at the bar that I'm being followed, sketched out, and to be worried if I don't send a text upon my arrival home. Like any good horror movie, I stubbornly decide to keep walking home along my original route. The Uber is seven minutes away, $10 for a half-mile trip, plus I'd be a sitting duck waiting for it. I don't want to walk the half-mile back to the bar when my house is the same distance. I'm ultimately and finally swayed by the fact that I'd had a rough shift and the walk always seems to unwind me. 
It was a dumb choice, clearly the wrong one, but that's how I got to it. As I soldier on, I turn onto the street with the basketball court and fields. In the parking lot, there's a tiny compact car, the kind referred to as a clown car. It begins to pull out of the lot, but another car is approaching, so it's waiting directly in my path. I slow down. My gut is saying, don't get too close. Eventually, it pulled out in the direction that I was going, but it goes straight instead of turning where I'll be heading. I let out an audible sigh of relief. I notice a sharp smell as I pass the parking lot, almost like dry leaves, earthy but unidentifiable. I chalk it up to my subconscious being on high alert. I turn onto the upcoming street, which is the final stretch of dark residential area before I reach the almost home, safer leg of the trip. I trip over the curb, chide myself for looking vulnerable for even a moment, then pause to regain my composure. There's a U-Haul truck parked about a hundred feet ahead of me on the opposite side of the street. I look up and see two figures coming out from behind the truck. They are identical. All black outfits, weird black pilgrim-esque hats, and what I originally thought were clown masks. My first thought is, well, I'm f I think of the weird clown thing that happened a few years ago. After a moment, I realize the masks are all white, so either Michael Myers or hockey-style masks. This is somehow a relief, because clowns would have had me so terrified that I would have frozen. Something about the way they're moving is extra eerie. Outfits aside, my body is screaming, GTFO. Without speaking to each other, or me, they start walking diagonally across the street towards me. They never stop or turn to communicate with each other. I immediately do a 180 and start power walking. I'm already holding my phone as a precaution from the first singing guy, so I FaceTime my roommate, but she doesn't pick up. I call the cook that I thought the first guy was. He picks up on the second ring. I ask, where are you? I need help. I'm being followed. He's climbing in his car. He said he'll be there in two minutes. For some reason, we hang up. I'm now by the fields, and I realize they're again crossing a street to come in my direction. I call him back and tell him to stay on the line, because I'm not okay. It had to be obvious to them that I was terrified. The abrupt change of direction, phone calls, looking over my shoulder. I'm on high alert, yet also still doubting myself somehow. The park is a great place to smoke. It's almost Halloween, etc. I turn into the street where the singer was following me and pause. The house on the corner of the park is my number one pick if I end up having to bang on a door for help. They're always outside working on their cars, the property is well maintained, and their windows are within 10 feet of the sidewalk. It gives off good Samaritan vibes, a stark contrast to the surrounding houses that I've never seen anyone outside of. My friend pulls up to the corner within two minutes of my first call. A miracle. I run and hop in, tears starting to flow from the adrenaline release. We start driving back along the original path that I was on, and they're still there, standing in the basketball court's parking lot. Masks still on, not moving, not lighting anything, nothing but seemingly waiting for me. They watch us drive away. I get home locked my door, and did my best to calm down before going to bed. I obviously didn't sleep well, 
I called my dad the next day to share my story. He thought the first guy could have been a scout. The sharp smell could have been ether. He insists I talk to the police. I work again that night, still slightly traumatized, and I get a ride in. I can't bear to walk that path even in broad daylight. I stop at the police station after work and give them a play-by-play, but only of the two masked creeps. The first singing guy seemed like a stretch to connect them, as the cops are looking at me slightly skeptical. The one asking me for details finally turns to the officer next to him and asks him to start his patrol at the park that night. They were polite, but unfazed. Didn't take my name or anything. The last creepy bit was finally heading home that night. It was exactly the same time as the previous evening, 12.30. A friend was giving me a ride, and we decided to take the same route and see if anything seems off. That same clown car was parked in the basketball court parking lot. Parked, but with their lights on. My friend suggests pulling over, half kidding, but I insist that we keep driving, already in a panic. While I still haven't parsed through and made sense of everything that happened that night, it has changed my behavior. I simply won't walk home at night, and every time that I drive by that park, I'm always on high alert, looking for masks, creeps, and that clown car. For a little background, my parents, sister, and I live in an apartment complex for one more week. This apartment complex has been in the news recently for numerous health and property violations, and the new owner is being sued by an unlawfully evicted disabled person for stealing his motorized wheelchair. It's a mess, I know. There are mice, roaches, ants, and black mold in several of the units that the tenants are left to deal with on their own because the owners refuse to. There's gangs, shootings, break-ins, and vehicle damage. We pay almost $2,000 for a two-bedroom apartment, no washer or dryer. In the lease, it states 24-hour notice before maintenance are allowed to try to enter your house. We've had multiple problems with the maintenance team, as have others. They often wait until the women, kids, and teens are alone in the house to knock. Today I was trying to nap due to a severe double ear infection and strong antibiotics. The sounds of knocking and the doorbell woke me up. This was the conversation that I had. Hey, this is maintenance. We're cleaning the bathroom fans. Sorry, my parents, the leaseholders, they're not home, so no. Are you 18 or older? You look like it. Yeah? Okay, then we can come in. No, you can't. I close and lock the door, but sit in the living room just in case, because maintenance has keys. My mom came home minutes after, and I told her the situation. She's visibly upset, and said that she never got an email or letter, and she's not comfortable with them being in the house, so I did the right thing. She then has to go out to get something from the trunk of her car, gone for no more than five minutes. But thank God she locked the door behind her, because no more than a few moments after she left, the door handle begins to jiggle. I creep over to it to look out the peephole, and I see this tall maintenance man. At least, that's what his uniform says, although I've never seen this man before. He attempts to open the door several times before turning around quietly 
and sauntering off back down the hallway. When my mom returned, she let me know that she went to the leasing office to tell them that the maintenance men can come and clean the bathroom fans once we're out of the apartment. The leasing agent looked rather confused and said that nobody on the maintenance team was doing rounds to clean bathroom fans right now. If that's indeed the case, then who is just at my front door? <laughs>